Till I'm Tiptoed you. Dot com. The podcast about pop culture, black history, and spirituality. Yeah. It's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip. Gonna take it away. Till I'm Tiptoed you. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. Happy New Year! This is the first edition of 2019, so I'm hoping everyone has entered this year in a fantastic mood, ready to win, ready to rock and roll, ready to fuck shit up, just ready to do what it is that we do in a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, I have a couple of things I want us to talk about this week. This week is dedicated to the black girl. We're going to spend some time talking about Santonia Brown. We're going to talk about the Texas case um, out there with little sister Jasmine. Um, and we will talk about the infamous surviving R. Kelly that a lot of us are um, trying to sit with, right? Um, it's been a hard time. <sighs> I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to talk about the R. Kelly um, documentary and, and and people's response to it. And then I'm going to round it all out with some epistemological sexism I witnessed uh, in particular a, couple, a week ago, but really as I sit and think about what's happening this week, it's, it's all rolling together on me. So let's just jump right in. The good news, we'll start with the good news. Antonio Brown has been granted clemency. Uh, if you don't know who this sister is, um, she was incarcerated as a result of her murdering um, the man who was sexually abusing her. Uh, she was a victim of sex trafficking, and she was the one who the foot of justice went down on. She was jailed, incarcerated at 16, um, and now she's been granted clemency. Um the crazy thing is we're celebrating today and today I am I am celebratory in hearing this news, this full clemency for, for our Tennessee sister. The problem is she's not going to be released until August of 2019. So sister still has some months left to do on what was a 51 year prison sentence. Um, she, by her own admission at 16, killed the person who was holding her. But the circumstances of what happened were so horrific that I cannot believe that she was ever, ever put into a facility. Um, she was convicted of felony murder and aggravated robbery as a result of her freeing herself from child sex trafficking, rape, mental abuse, etc. <clears throat> there is a documentary out called Me Facing Life, the Centoya Brown story. So if you have time, check it out. But Sister Brown is, um, we are all celebrating her today. The, the news of her uh, release was made public today. She has responded to Governor Haslam again of Tennessee thanking him for a second chance. She also wanted to thank Ms. Connie Seabrooks from the Lipscomb Life Program um, that reached out to her. 
she, the good news, you know, I'm an educator, so I'm happy, happy, happy uh, to know that Lipscomb University um, was open and available to her. And she only has one course left until she completes her bachelor's degree in May of 2019. So when sister comes out in August, she's coming out an educated young woman. Um, I thank all of you who reached out and called on, in a, um, you know, officials in Tennessee to have them do the right thing. This speaks to the power of social media. You know, a lot of time people complain about quote unquote armchair activists and keyboard warriors and whatever. But I think it was those keyboard warriors and those, you know, armchair activists who played a large role in, uh, the state of Tennessee recognizing that an injustice had been done. And it was the peer pressure, the pressure of voting people um, put on the governor of Tennessee that sees this justice meted out against this sister. And if you are anything like me, you needed this win this week. So again, I'm sure as I sit with this a little bit longer, I'm going to have more problems about her not actually getting out until August. But right now, I just got to sit in the celebration. I really, really need to, to just, I need to be there. I need to be there. And I, I think we all needed this victory this week. We needed this victory this week because we are also presently dealing with the loss of one of our children, Miss Jasmine Barnes out in Texas. Um, she and her family were riding in a car and according to four eyewitness testimonies, a red pickup truck pulled up next to the car, shot in the car and then got in front of the car, slowed down and kept shooting. Right. Um, the mother pulled over checking on one of her daughters that the window had broken and had cut her. So she was checking on that. Um, daughter to see why she was bloody and that's when she noticed that Jasmine was seriously wounded and was pronounced dead um, at the hospital. She was seven. Baby girl was seven. And a lot of us, the initial eyewitness testimonies were for this red pickup truck with a white guy driving. And so a lot of people um, were trying to look around, asking for camera footage in other areas. Um, I know that there are some, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to go there, but there there were brothers out looking uh, for this. Uh, one of the eyewitnesses gave a um, description. So there was a sketch floating around of this white man who was driving the pickup truck and the police eventually picked him up, but he was released when a black man, a black man, said that he did it and that the death was a result of gang violence, that he and another male were in a car and thought they were actually shooting at a rival gang member. And so... At that point, they released the white man, arrested this black man, and were looking for his accomplice because of this quote-unquote gang violence. Now, this something, something in the story, y'all, it doesn't sit right with my spirit. It just, there is something very strange happening when four eyewitnesses, including 
the young woman who was in the car with her sister, who say it was a white man in a red pickup truck that shot at them. And then all of a sudden we have Sean King, who is sometimes a little problematic, Sean King advocating um, and doing his own case, some kind of way he considers this to be his victory and, and whatever. Um, Sean King reporting that, no, this, they found out who did it and it was these two guys, right? One of which is Eric Black. He was the 20-year-old that was arrested Saturday after a traffic stop in a different car than supposedly this car. So according to Sean, what happened was um, the the two, the black man and his accomplice shot at the, the mother's car and sped off in the opposite direction of a red pickup truck. The red pickup truck and the white driver was, you know, the white driver was so afraid that he sped away. And that's what witnesses saw. They didn't, they didn't even report seeing this other car that the brother was in, supposedly. They just see this red pickup truck. It's something very suspicious about the whole case to me that you had this child saying what she saw. Um, that you have the mother talking about this red truck, that you have other eyewitnesses talking about a red truck, and all of a sudden we're put with, with a white man, and now we're talking about a black boy, 20, a black man, whatever, right? I don't, something just seems a little strange to me, and I wonder if we are rushing towards accepting his admission of guilt to avoid some racial conflict in Houston. I don't know. I just I just know something doesn't feel right. What aggravates me most about this not feeling right to me is the fact that this is a seven-year-old girl and if her life is being trivialized to the point that people are using it to... to, to I just... I, I don't like it. I don't like what's going on. I don't like that we have lost yet another young black girl and even her memory is being tarnished by this just, I don't know. I don't know. If it was the white guy, then we got to deal with this continued brutality against black bodies that white supremacists, you know, inflict upon our communities. If it's not him and it was this, the, you know, these two young men as a result of gang violence, then we got, we also have to deal with some internal stuff. It, it just, it's a lot. It's a lot to carry this week. And a lot of us are carrying that, that stuff and we have to figure out a way to do something with it. But, um, let us all, those of us who do this kind of thing, let's light a candle for Miss Jasmine Barnes and elevate it so that we can help elevate her spirit um, by a little sister, she, you know, she didn't get to enjoy the full life that many of us have enjoyed. But I also wonder if she's a little better off than those of us who, who have been black girls, because black girlhood ain't that all that easy, which moves us to the R. Kelly discussion. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about what many of us saw in that wonderfully done documentary. I think there were some slight errors in who was chosen to represent what. Um, but by and large, I thought it was a powerful documentary. It was evidence of intentional storytelling. Like we saw the escalation um, of his behavior. We saw him become so arrogant after the trial that now he seems to be untouchable. He's making 19 minute songs, I admit. 
uh, I did a, a Tell Him to Told You live on Facebook a while ago when that song came out because I was absolutely disgusted and infuriated by its lyrics uh, where he practically admits that he does these things. And in the documentary, oh boy, it's a whole lot of guilty people in that documentary that turn their eyes away from the mistreatment of young girls because they were in pursuit of some type of material economic success. There, it's hard for me. I don't blame anyone in that documentary who was a victim of his abuse. Some people are blaming some of the women that were victimized. I don't. I don't. Because I, I just don't. I'm not getting into that. If you paid attention to the document, a lot of these idiots, they didn't even watch the documentary. So you didn't see what the clinical psychologists were saying about manipulation and sexual and emotional abuse and all this kind of stuff. Right. So you're talking out the side of your neck. That's first of all, I'm going to go to the other reason why I think you're talking to in a minute. But something about um, these families who thought that their particular child was immune to it. You saw what he did to other people, but it didn't matter to you until it happened to yours. That That's a little harder for me to swallow, especially the two fathers that were in, in the, the documentary. It was hard for me to follow that. I just, I couldn't. Whew, chilly. It was, it's hard. And I'm really trying to think through that because, you know, the person who deserves all of our frustration and anger and just discussed is R. Kelly, Robert Kelly. The, the But there's something there that I'm still trying to tease through myself. So I'm not, I, uh, I'm teasing through my judgment of the families. That's something I'm teasing through myself. I think they got their 30 pieces of silver. They sold their babies. They turned their eye because of what they thought could have been gained from it. Um, I, it goes back to how women are treated as objects to be traded. And I just, I, it, it's hard for me to swallow that. As a survivor of sexual assault and abuse, I don't, I don't tolerate it. I don't, I don't tolerate that well. Anybody who defends any child molester or rapist, I cannot tolerate and I am completely disgusted by the number of people that are trying to defend this man. And and some of them are dumb enough that you're trying to, if you, if you just go, you know, there are people out here saying, I'm going to listen to his music anyway. And they don't try to offer a defense. I'm disgusted by them, but I'm less disgusted by them than people who actually try to come up with an asinine defense. Well, it happened so long ago. Why are we just bringing it up? Um, if you don't remember, he did go to trial. We were bringing it up then. And some of us stopped listening to the music then. Just because you didn't, didn't mean that some of us didn't. And if you had watched the documentary, then you would know his crimes continue. So it's not, well, he was doing it back then. Well, I mean, that, that's some foolishness. That is some foolishness. And this whole, well, they didn't do this to Harvey Weinstein, and they didn't do this to this white man, and they didn't do this to that white man. Listen. Please don't judge your life based on what white people do. You can't do what they do, nor should you want to. You should not want to take the place of your oppressor. That should never be your end game. And if that's your end game, 
you have told me who you are and fuck you anyway. All right. I'm just, I'm sorry that that's come out like that, but that's what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. Um, and then there are those people who are trying to say, you know, this is just the white man trying to bring down the black man. Let's bring him down. Bring him. If he is an enemy of black women, of black girls, I don't care who brings him down, bring him down. Okay, my my commitment, my loyalty, my allegiance is never to my enemy. And Robert Kelly has proven himself to be an enemy of black girls and black women. Why would I want to protect him from anybody? I wouldn't. He is more harm to my community than good. I have nothing for him and neither should you. Neither should you. It sounds to me like you want him to get away with stuff that white men get away with. I don't have time for that. I don't care what white people do with sexual predators of their own ilk. I worry about what we do with sexual predators in our communities. That's what I worry about. You know, it's hard to hear Chance say he would have believed these people if he had been conditioned to believe black women. And a lot of people jumped on the brother about that, but I'm, I'm glad he was audient, honest that in our communities, people are socialized not to trust and not to believe black women. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to go there in just a minute. Let's go back a little bit. A lot of these people who I, I am seeing, who I personal know, personally know on social media defending R. Kelly, with, they, they want to say, I'm not defending him, but. If they're starting that sentence like that, best believe they defending him, right? I don't, I don't want to defend him, but let's not forget, I know who you are. I know who you were getting down with in high school. I know how many children you got. You don't mean black women no good either, and you got daughters. That's a problem. Do you know how many men are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook right now defending this foolishness who have girl children? This is when I wish there was a real life drop squad. We need to be picking brothers up and, and do some real social reconditioning. They need to be. Whew, some listen, some dark alleys and some some real brothers need to just yoke some folk up. <laughs> some stuff need to be happening. Um, one of the sad things I saw posted, and it's sad because I, I, I agree with it 100%. I saw a sister say something, and I wish I could remember who posted it. A sister said something about this is evidence that we're all we got, that nobody loves black women like black women. And it is a hurtful thing. Sometimes it makes me feel good. You know, I feel like I'm a black woman. We're, the, we're strong and we're creative and we're powerful and we're generative and we, you know, yeah. Just all of these things I know that we are. Heavy is not supposed to be carried alone. But the only people we share our heavy with are other black women. It's like nobody, we, we don't, we can't, we, we cannot be in complete partnership with white women because there's some shit there. We can't be in complete partnership with black men because there's some patriarchy there. And it just, it, it, it becomes... I, I saw a number of sisters in my feed during the documentary and at, now that we're, we're trying to recover from seeing it, I saw a number of my sisters who could not sleep. I was the same way. We could not sleep. And it's amazing to me 
that there is the feeling of I cannot sleep at the exact time of just for me, I don't know about for anybody else, but for me, I cannot sleep, but I'm also dealing with just unbelievable feelings of fatigue. I am tired, y'all. Like I am tired of my voice seemingly not mattering to anybody where I can say this hurt me and people have 50 million reasons why I'm not supposed to say this hurt me. Or a sister like Dream Hampton can create a documentary in service of her sisters saying these sisters are hurting and we have ignored them and people have a problem with it. Like that, that, that gets old and it makes me tired. Um, and I want all of us who, every black woman I know, y'all, this is, this is the part. Every black woman I know has a me too story. Every, I mean, you talk to a black woman long enough about these issues. There is a story. And then brothers wonder why we don't come forward. We don't come forward because you don't believe us when we do. Or when we do come forward, you have 50 million reasons why we should not have come. Why the hell are we going to put ourselves through that? It's hard. It's hard right now. And we, we need to begin to hold people accountable for their behaviors and their rhetoric. So, you know, I was on a blocking and deleting frenzy this week. Just delete. You you sound like you're about to defend Robert. Delete. Delete, delete, block, block. Delete from inbox. Hide, mute, uh, text message notification. Just, I'm not dealing with you. You have shown me who you are. I'm not dealing with you. I don't want you around no children I deal with. I don't want you around no women I deal with. I don't want to have to hurt you myself. So let me just dead all that. I don't care how long we've known each other. I must not have known you a pedophile because if I had known that, I would have deaded you a long time ago. Right? So we just, and again, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I'm still raw and I want to think through it some more. I want to give language to it some more. Um, I don't have the words. Y'all know I like words and words are powerful things. I don't have the language right now to speak to this. I don't, I, I'm, I don't have the language right now to speak to it, how I feel. I have often talked about on this podcast and on my blog and on my social media posts, I often talk about one of our superpowers as black people is our ability to hope. And in this very moment, if I'm completely honest with myself, I have very little hope that how we treat black girls will change anytime soon. And I don't know how, because because it's a time, it's a feeling I have not felt before. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. Like I'm trying to figure out what kind of programming can be developed. What I, and I, that just that seems not to be enough. What kind of writing I can do, but that seems not to be enough. And what kind of teaching I can do, and that doesn't seem to be enough. What kind of praying can I do? I just, I feel like I'm completely powerless in this because you can say something to these people who are defending this foolishness and they don't get it. And the number of people, let me say this, the number of people who find reason, who are finding reasons to laugh 
in the context of this documentary, I really wish I could put my hands on them. What, what the shit is funny? I don't understand what's funny. You're finding ways to make jokes. I don't get it. I, I really don't get it unless you, like I said, some of these people I know personally, you got some stories in your own past and that's why you really don't want to deal with this. I'm not going to go there. Let's go back. Part of what's going on is nobody trusts black women. Nobody listens to black women. Our voices don't mean much. In my own experiences, I can be in a meeting. This is when I was in corporate America. I haven't. When I was in corporate America, I could say something and the room would just be quiet. And then I'm thinking about some 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 meetings in particular. And then somebody, a, a man would repeat what I said just in a little different way. And he was giving kudos for this fabulous idea. Like nobody is listening to me as a woman. It's my something about me being woman. I can't tell you how many times we are mansplained in the area of our expertise by folk who ain't got half the expertise we do. Simply because they're a man, they feel that they are um, more authorized to speak a truth, right? Um, but here's my pet peeve. Is when they say things like, oh, but you're in your emotions right now. So let me go there. This is what I really wanted to talk about today. I was on a panel for a Kwanzaa celebration. I think it was a beautiful idea behind the panel. The panel was uh, a group of different practitioners. So you had Baptist ministers, you had a, a Muslim Moor, you had me as an African traditionalist. Um, you had these different religious philosophies represented on this panel. And together we were supposed to talk about the unity of black spirituality, right? I think it was a beautiful idea. But the idea, the, the conversation started to shift towards the end. And a couple of my brothers on the panel we're saying that we have to control our emotions. And I was, it was like something was making my teeth itch. It was like, I couldn't, I didn't want to address it then because this panel is supposed to be about unity. So I, and we were toward the end. So we're trying to ramp up to this beautiful ending where everybody leaves feeling good. I didn't want to, I, did, I didn't want to hit it the way I wanted to hit it. Right. I was biting my, literally, literally biting my tongue. Right. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go there. But it, it, it is a theme that has been manifesting over and over for me because I am confrontational um, when it's something I believe in. And because I am assertive in that confrontation, I don't mind getting loud with nobody. Y'all know the four letter words can come out of my mouth. I, and, and so the first thing someone says to me is you're emotional. You're not thinking clearly. Right. In the academy, there is something called epistemology. Right. It's a big word. Sounds hard. This is what it means. That knowledge, what you know, is produced. Right. It came from somewhere. It just doesn't drop out of the sky. It came from somewhere. We call that epistemology. How you know something. Right. There is a such thing as epistemological racism. You know, black, brown, red ways of knowing 
how we know stuff tends not to be readily accepted unless it aligns with how white people tend to know. So if I can't measure it with a yardstick, if I can't weigh it with a scale, if I can't see it with my eyes, if I can't photograph it, then it it's not quote unquote real, right? It's a figment of our imagination or it's mythology or something else, right? Because it can't be proven through Western means of proving things. That's epistemological racism. What I am noticing about the continued message that we cannot be angry and dealing with something we disagree with is a kind of epistemological sexism. Because women, by and large, well, let me say black women, because I don't know what white women do. Black women, women of color, because I do know what some brown women do. Women of color tend to know in a different way than many men know, right? Um, it's my, my, my students laugh when I give this example, but it's like, you know, my sisters hear this. <laughs> you know, you haven't seen a text message that's crazy. You've never seen lipstick on his collar. You don't even smell perfume on it, but you know something is going on with your man. Right. That kind of you just know that knowingness. It comes from somewhere. Or I have seen um, my not only my mother, but other mothers know when something is wrong with their child. There's a knowingness. Right. Women tend to be able to tell when someone else is upset. Like, even if the person isn't crying or visibly upset, they tend to, hey, something seems a little off. Are you good? Like that kind of knowing. Because it can't be explained in Western terms, it tends to be ignored, right? Or, you you know, you're paranoid. My ex, but I knew he was cheating before I had proof he was cheating. And I used to say to him all the time, I know you, I, I know you got something going on. And the moment I find out, it's going to be on and popping. He'd be like, you paranoid, you need therapy, you this and you that. This is how they treat it, right? That because I don't have proof I can put in your hand, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? It's the same kind of judgment that is happening around our emotions. It When men want to shut down and a discussion with someone who is more a woman who is more knowledgeable than them. The first thing they see would say is, "You're you're being emotional. I can't deal with you right now. You're being emotional." Don't let people do that because part of how I know and how I move in this world is based on my emo- my emotion has gotten me to year forty five. I wouldn't be here if my emotions hadn't gotten me out of some crazy shit, hadn't uh, hidden me from some crazy stuff, removed me from some crazy relationships. My emotions, you know, are part and parcel of how I get down. And anybody telling you not to tap into, and this is for men and for women, there are brothers where people will tell you, don't be angry. Like that was the, literally what was talked about during the Kwanzaa thing. We can't be angry at this because if we're angry, we can't do. That is some bullshit, Now, I'm not saying be in a rage trying to do things that require conscientious thought. What I'm saying is you got to take that anger and direct it. Some of my best writing happens when I'm angry. Some of my best teaching happens when I'm angry. Some of my best love making 
happens when I'm angry. Audrey Lord talks about the righteous uses of anger. And when people tell us to try to devoid ourselves from our emotions, they are wanting us to devoid ourselves from a source of energy and power. Don't let that, your emotions exist for a reason. They are supposed to move you somewhere. That's why, you know, I don't want to be like the, you know, the whole FOTEP people that say, that's why it's got motion in it. But, you know, hey, it works this time. We got to use how we feel to move us in a direction. There are righteous answers to racism. There are righteous responses to sexism. There are righteous responses to babies being in cages at the border. There are righteous responses to federal employees working and not being compensated for their work. We should be angry about these things. Don't try to get rid of the anger. Just don't sit in it. That's what Get angry and then do. But to tell someone not to get angry is to tell someone to stifle their emotions. I just did a um, free webinar last night on Instagram about uh, African-centered perspectives of self-healing and self-care. Dr. Fukia Bunseki talks about how if you are trying to control your emotions to the point that you're just, you're holding them, you're not letting them go, you're not talking about them, you're not dealing with them, they're not ex- escaping you, any, you are diminishing your self-healing energy. Like you can't be completely whole, happy, healthy, and well if your emotions are sitting on them because you're scared to show them because some asshole told you you're not supposed to be angry or you're not supposed to act in anger. I'm telling you that's some bullshiggity. And what they're really doing is telling you that some of the most feminine ways of knowing, that gut feeling, that feminine way of knowing, that is somehow weaker than Ways of knowing that originate in in critical, quote unquote, critical thinking. That's sexism. And this is why a lot of brothers can't tap into the feminine sides of themselves and they're in out of balance. Because they have forgotten how to tap into the emotion and do something with it. Now, let me just talk about um, I just I just want to read a little bit. Of Audre Lorde, right? She says, when women of color speak out of out of the anger that laces so many of our contacts with white women, we are often told that we are, quote, creating a mood of hopelessness. Another quote, she says, standing in the way of trusting communication and action. She says, this is Audre Lorde's response there. What you hear in my voice is fury, not suffering, anger not moral authority, and there is a difference. To turn aside, and this is still Audre Lorde talking, to turn aside from the anger of black women with excuses or the pretexts of intimidation is to award no one power. It is merely another way of preserving racial blindness, the power of unaddressed privilege, unbreached, intact. So even when black men are using it against us, It is their power that is not being addressed. They don't want us to address that power differential. (sighs) 
Let me just finish with the rest of Audrey Lord. I have suckled the wolf's lip of anger, and I have used it for illumination, laughter, protection, fire in places where there was no light, no food, no sisters, no quarter. We are not goddesses or matriarchs or edifices of divine forgiveness. Let, let me read that part again, because I think black women, we're so busy trying to be somebody's martyr. She says, <laughs> we are not goddesses or matriarchs or edifices of divine forgiveness. We're not built to be your example of forgiveness. She says, we are not fiery fingers of judgment or instruments of flagellation. We are women forced back always upon our women's power. We have learned to use anger as we have learned to use the dead flesh of animals. And bruised, battered, and changing, we have survived and grown. And in Angela Wilson's words, we are moving on with or without uncolored women. And I would add colored men, <laughs> men of color. We can use whatever strengths we have fought for, including anger to help define and fashion a world where all our sisters can grow, where our children can love, and where the power of touching and meeting another woman's difference and wonder will eventually transcend the need for destruction. For it is not the anger of black women which is dripping down over this globe like a diseased liquid. It is not my anger that launches rockets, spends over $60,000 a second on missiles and other agents of war and death, slaughters children in cities, stockpiles nerve gas and chemical bombs, sodomizes our daughters and our earth. It is not the anger of black women which corrodes into blind, dehumanizing power, bent upon the annihilation of us all unless we meet it with what we have, our power to examine and to redefine the terms upon which we will live and work, our power to envision and to reconstruct. Anger by painful anger, stone upon heavy stone, a future of pollinating difference in the earth to support our choices. We welcome all women who can meet us face to face beyond objectification and beyond guilt. Right. So that's Audrey Lord talking about the righteous uses of anger. Don't let no brother tell you not to be mad this week, sis. We got a hell of a lot to be angry with this week. My question is. What you going to do with it? I want you to think about that. If you come up with a good answer, send me an email to drtip at tellemtiptoldyou.com. Let's talk through that righteous um, use of anger. We gotta, we have to, especially black women, y'all. It's been rough. We all we got. If anybody asks you why, tell them tip told you. Y'all have a great day. Bye.